0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them.
1: Lee Cantor here with Stone Payton, another episode of ATDC Radio, and um, we're getting our what, this is uh, episode number six, I think?
0: Yeah, this is it, man. We are in full stride. We got this thing figured out. Folks, of course, can listen to us live at com, And we've been pretty good about getting these episodes published within a within a few days, and we're yep. starting to build our ATDC library. And we have some designs at some point of not coming down here at uh, dawn and setting up, <laughs> but actually having a permanent studio right here on the premise, That's right. right. That's the idea. Uh, but the way that we get there is by sharing these marvelous stories a little bit later in this episode we are going to hear uh from the gentleman with mojian mr matt riley but first up on atdc radio right now please join me in welcoming back to the business radio x microphone with sudu mr amari ruff how are you sir what's going on feeling pretty good over here
1: well amari can you tell us about sudu how are you serving folks
2: Uh, You know, we're in the logistics and transportation space, the most exciting space out there. Uh, We are working with uh, small and medium-sized trucking companies, and we're leveraging technology to connect them with uh, large shippers to... Bring them better opportunities. Uh, we work to remove your traditional freight broker out of the equation, which is just human capital, and we're layering on um, a little bit of machine learning and a, a sprinkle of artificial intelligence to make those connections. A sprinkle, uh, just a <laughs> sprinkle.
1: <laughs> so now, tell me how this company came about.
2: Yeah, so um, serial entrepreneur. I've I've always been um, accustomed to building my own. So I had just exited my my previous business, which was a telecommunications company, and. Wanted to jump into logistics, a uh, low barrier of entry, and my goal initially was to start a trucking company. but uh, With actual
1: trucks or, or the uh, technology to leverage no, trucks? No, huh.
2: no technology at first. <laughs> I was just like, hey, we're just going to start a trucking company and own a bunch of trucks. Old and, school. Yeah, old school <laughs> model, build build a really cool culture, and just try to make it a place where truckers want to come and leverage owner-operators' assets. But uh, once I jumped in there, I seen it was uh, a lot more capital-intensive than I had anticipated. Mm-hmm. So. We did uh, a pivot more to a non-brokerage, not asset-based model, more brokerage of a model. And when I started to look for technologies off the shelf to really run the business, there wasn't nothing out there. And I was like, hey, I think we could build something on our own.
1: And then, um, but how did you get kind of the depth of knowledge of what was needed to build it?
2: Yeah, so I I went to a trucking association here in Atlanta to really get all of my education because, of course, I was new to the industry, but I'm one of those guys that um, I, I dig in and I dive in deep, and I'll read everything online, and I'll take a ton of classes. So I spent a lot of time at that trucking association, became an ambassador, and really assisted and went to all the classes, different conferences, and even answered phones over there just to really engulf myself in the industry, and that's how I really started to learn.
1: And then so you learned, and then when did the idea come to you?
2: Well, the idea came, you know, as as I'm just really listening to the, trucking comp- the truckers just continue to complain about, you know, access to capital and access to quality opportunities and how they're always at the bottom of the totem pole. And I felt that a lot of their complaints and problems could be solved through technology.
1: And then so uh, as an outsider, you – kind of had fresh eyes on something that they'd just been tolerating for a long period of time.
2: Yeah. I think, I think that was some value in it. You know, sometimes no matter what the industry is, you know, just being on the outside looking in, it's, it's kind of easy to say like, why aren't you doing it this (laughs) way?
1: seems very obvious to me. (laughs) took me about 10 minutes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
2: But when, when you're in it and in golf, Mm -hmm. you're so used to just running your business. It's just the way it is. Right. You just
1: tolerate this kind of stuff. So now um, when you came up with the idea uh, this is they had to kind of open their mind to it. Right. Yeah. Were you getting buy in right away or was it something you had to spend a lot of time educating them?
2: No, that's a great question. I think, you know, what what was successful for Sudo was um, we took more of a traditional approach into the industry so we didn't build out a ferrari and then say here drive it right i've already figured
1: out all your yeah
2: exactly so we we slowly took that traditional approach and really learned from the truckers and started to plug in technology in certain gaps and knew that okay this is drive efficiency here which in, enabled the truckers to not really have to change a lot of their behavior. Right. They can continue to operate the same way they always do. Our technology kind of operates on the back end and we drive that speed and efficiency. So that, that, was, a, that was successful for us. And we were able to do that because, of course, number one, we didn't even have a lot of money <laughs> to really build a Ferrari. We couldn't if we wanted to. So, that was uh, what so I. So that was to your
1: minimum, minimum viable product.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was the MVP. You know, and then, then I call that the the power of broke. You know, <laughs> just just being broke and making things happen.
1: And that's it. You had no choice, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> so then, uh, the first iteration, you got some traction.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we, we put together an M V P and then we were able to land Walmart as our first enterprise customer, which was really exciting to be with such so how a So how'd
1: you kind of power through that? Oh man.
2: It was uh the, the <laughs> blessing from the man above. No <laughs> We you know, we got to the right people. They really believed in who we were and what we were doing as a company and we solved some real problems for them and we and they took the time to really look at a small company and That's one thing, you know, people will say things about Walmart, but man, they're they're a great company internally and they work well with startups and they give you the opportunity to really get in there and prove yourself and then you just got to execute from there.
1: So then um, they have a program for startups that are at least they'll give you a look.
2: Well, I think you just need to know the right people. They do have um, what's called a store number nine, which is like an accelerator that Mm -hmm. they bring different technologies in. But we didn't go through that program. We actually um, got connected with some folks internally and we just continue just to chug away.
1: Just by networking?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. What's funny is I did something pretty cool. I I went on um, (coughs) LinkedIn and I actually emailed um, every person I could connect with um, at an executive level at Walmart. It might have been 36 people.
1: So you just go to LinkedIn and you have (laughs) how many connections do you have?
2: Right now, I've got close to 5,000. Okay, connections so you have right a bunch now. of
1: connections. Yeah. So then there's like connections of connections. So, yeah.
2: And then out of those 36 people, two people replied. And then <laughs> and those, just like messaged them yeah, on LinkedIn. Exactly. Then they referred me to another person. That person referred me to another person. And then we got connected with Supply Diversity on the back end, and the two kind of met. And I was able to name drop and say, hey, you know, I'm already working with Cindy over in the contracting office. And they were like, oh, this this guy's uh, kind of making some progress. Right. So it, it just worked out, and we got lucky. You know, I'll say that we got lucky. Well,
1: you didn't get lucky. I mean, if you didn't do that <laughs> kind of legwork, then it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. The luck wouldn't have occurred.
2: That's true. That's true. I guess they do say <laughs> you make your own luck, right? Right.
1: I mean, you could have just waited for Walmart to call you, and that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'd probably still be waiting. <laughs> still be waiting.
1: <laughs> so you, so you kind of uh, went through the maze and got some traction, and then got somebody to talk to you, and you explained the vision.
2: Yeah, yeah. Explain the vision and then on um, the vision made sense. They invited us down to Bentonville and we, we pitched in front of the transportation team. It was tough. Uh, they
1: asked hard questions uh yeah
2: and they weren't very nice they didn't look nice really yeah yeah it was intimidating but you know i believed in what we were doing and i knew that you know um they would have to make a bet on us for the future like we didn't have all the bells and whistles built out immediately but if they work with us and stuck with us we can grow to be an awesome supplier and today now you look at our level of services with walmart i mean we're almost 100 across the board like we are solid
1: And then you learn from them, and and they got to really benefit from your vision.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, having that brand name behind you as a startup, oh, man, it speaks volumes. Right. We're kind of a big deal now.
1: And then to have that enterprise uh, kind of blessing is what... Helps you open the doors in other areas, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it opens up the door to other customers, you know, just knowing that, hey, if they can succeed at the level of doing business with right. Walmart. Right. If Walmart
1: trusts them, how bad can they be? Right? Exactly.
2: <laughs> it's not so bad, right? Yeah.
1: So now, um, what stage are you at right now?
2: So right now, um, we're gearing up for our Series A. Um, we work with some of the largest brands in the world, you know, Walmart, AB and Bev. Um, Procter & Gamble, Delta Airlines, uh, UPS just to name a few. But we're we're at exciting times, you know. We're growing as a business. We've got a solid team. Everybody loves coming to work. Mm-hmm. Nobody really calls in sick just to be honest.
1: <laughs> and it's like bad weather. Yeah, they're exactly. still showing up. They're in there <laughs> smiling. I'm like
2: nobody's sick. Guys sneezing in the corner, but no. It's it's exciting times for us. You know, we're growing. We're gearing up for that Series A raise, and right now is our Super Bowl. It's Q4 holiday shipping, so mm-hmm. we'll be we'll be delivering Christmas gifts. And is this
1: your first Christmas?
2: Uh, no, no, but this so you- is a, this is our first one with UPS, though. Mm-hmm. So this is this is a big deal for us. It's our Super Bowl.
1: And then, um, how does the ATDC come into play for you guys?
2: Oh man, ATDC has been everything for us. You know, um, when I first had the idea of the company, even prior to landing Walmart. Um, I figured and thought we knew everything, but we jumped into the program at the customer discovery level, and we were really able to home in on an MVP and, you know, um, shore up our business model. And once we made it out of customer discovery, we were at that accelerate level where we had access to all the classes. I took all the classes, some of them even two and three times, just to get all that knowledge in. You know, from telling your story to fundraising to building out a pitch deck to getting your financial model together. um, We wouldn't be the business we are today without ATDC, without without a shadow of a
1: doubt. Now, your previous company, did you go through ATDC?
2: No, no, that was uh, no technology, service-based. We were were the cable guys that come in your house and install cable and Mm -hmm. Internet. So there was no technology needed there.
1: So you did that on your own without kind of this... Infrastructure?
2: Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. And um, if I would have had this infrastructure, I'd probably be somewhere on a beach hanging out. Really? So you think it makes
1: that big of a difference? Oh,
2: it's huge. It's huge, you know, because even when you think you know everything, you just don't, you know, especially someone like me coming out of a service based business and not having that real technical background Mm -hmm. and really, you know, shed light on the path of how to really scale and start a, a tech company, which is completely different from a service-based business.
1: Now, so you're not the tech person in your organization? You're no, the...
2: no. I'm just, I'm just the dude with the vision, <laughs> and I, I get coffee and try to make everybody
1: happy. So now, how did you find the tech person that kind of bought into you? Because this was your dream.
2: Yeah, yeah. This was, this was my vision in my head, and then the, the team was able to bring it to fruition. Um,
1: was that I, through ATDC? Yeah,
2: yeah. So you came to ATDC
1: just as a guy with an idea? Yeah. And then said, I hope... Hope somebody here is going to be just a, a dude, that coder person that's going to make this.
2: <laughs> I need an engineer. Did you immediately? Like a, was it like that? Seriously, <laughs> I swear to you, yeah, dude. I, I came up here just thinking about it. It's crazy. <laughs> I, was just, I was just up here trying to figure it right, out. Right, I had this idea.
1: And then somebody's like, I can build that.
2: Yeah, yeah. You you network. You go to the different events. You know, people are exiting their other businesses or unfortunately their businesses may shutter. And they're looking for the next thing. You know, fortunate, um, our CTO had just exited his previous startup and he was looking for the next thing. And it was between Sudu and Amazon and he chose Sudu. Wow.
1: So um, how did you kind of vet him?
2: Um, You know, I got lucky because he had a big name here. You know, this was his third – he was on his third startup. So I could ask anybody. Everybody knew who he was, mm-hmm. and his, his references checked out. So I knew he was a big catch, and he was going to be solid. So it was just a matter of spending some time together as individuals just to make sure that we mesh as just people. And it, it worked. You know, we worked really, really well together. He's a rock star.
1: Now, uh, coming from a non-tech background, a lot of the ATDC are tech folks. Um, did you feel like an outsider like or did they embrace you of oh this guy 's got great ideas, but he 's not like kind yeah. of the tech georgia that's, tech uh pedigree
2: that 's a great question um i 'm a military brat, so we moved every three to four years. So you have to be able to adapt quickly and make friends quickly. Mm-hmm. So that's I your superpower. At, that's it, dude. That's it. <laughs> I'm telling you, I got in here and I just adapted and became that chameleon and just you know, I didn't shy away from people and I really just dug in, you mm-hmm. know. So And they but, saw
1: you doing the work and doing the learning and stuff. And so. they
2: embraced me. Yeah, they they embraced me and uh, everybody's been great around here, you know.
1: Now what about um A lot of the startups, some of them get a lot of money right away, and you guys have kind of bootstrapped your way up the ladder.
2: Yeah, a little bit. Um, We we raised our seed round in 2017. So we got some venture capital then, um, and that allowed us to add some more team members and fuel some growth. Now,
1: the venture capital was in your previous thing, you didn't get venture capital. That was all self funded.
2: Yeah, self funded. I started that company with 300 bucks. That was it, dude, and scaled it. I think we got up to about 4.6 million. Yeah.
1: but so, going through venture capital, there's uh, it's a different type of business. Oh you yeah. You know when it was your business and it was all your money and it was all the money that was raised through customers. Nobody could tell me anything. Exactly. I knew now you to do? Now got people have opinions, right? We got a board, <laughs> right?
2: A board. Yeah, they get mad. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's numbers I got to hit. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They, are, they probably want their money
1: back too. They want it.
2: They want a ten X <laughs> return. They want more than just their money.
1: Right. So yeah, how so, is managing that? That's a different animal, isn't it?
2: It is, it is. And I I, I think um having an experienced team around me from um my my co founder and COO, Michelangelo Ho, and our CTO Chad Ruff. Um, having those two individuals that come from the tech startup environment and they've raised money before and they understand the board, the makeup of a board and, you know, how to conduct board meetings. So I definitely leaned on those guys for direction and they, they definitely set us up for success there.
1: Now, what about in your life? Um, different life events have occurred during the process of this. How is that this yeah. business? A lot of times this can become all encompassing and, you know, this is all you know, but you're trying to have some sort of a life balance here.
2: Yeah, um...
1: How'd the board feel about that? <laughs> <laughs>
2: our, our board is great. They're, they're, they're really nice they're guys. They're the best. <laughs> best board. Yeah, they're the best ever. No, the, the board is great, and um, I think they they understand that they're, they have a team of individuals that are really dedicated and um, focused on success of the business and that um, we really want to do well. And I think they know that, and they... They're not on our backs, you know, and then I think when we're hitting our numbers and we're executing and we're we're growing, I mean, that makes, you know, things a lot easier as well. Of course, we have our, our issues and our problems just like any other startup, but um, they're there to support us and be that safety net and make sure that um, we're headed in the right direction. So, um the 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 work life balance is, is pretty decent but my family understands when i'm when i'm in the business like that's that this is what i'm in you know mm-hmm. i eat drink sleep this thing because i don't have a plan b <laughs> right. this is it dude like i have to i have to succeed at this that's <laughs> it so
1: make it so yeah now um had you've always been an entrepreneur since a kid like when did this bug hit you
2: i think i've always been like this i've always been a builder you know mm-hmm. I like I like to build stuff. I like I like to own my own. Um, if I if I did work a job somewhere it was just to learn. You know, I had an idea and I just needed to learn these two skills or these three different things and then I always branched off to do my own. So that's that's just always been me and I think you know uh, the different things we went through as a child um, Made me get out there early and work, and you know have to provide for the family and things like that. And you didn't want to
1: go in the military?
2: No, Mm -hmm. no. What's what's funny is I was in JROTC, and I'm I'm extremely competitive, so I was a like a squad lead and all that. So you were winning ROTC. ROTC. I was winning, dude. (laughs) I was winning. (laughs) But no, um, if if my. If my father probably didn't retire, I probably would have went into the Air Force. Mm-hmm. You know, But he retired at that perfect time when we <laughs> moved here to Atlanta. So I didn't have to. How have old were enough. you? Um, I think I was in the ninth grade, so about 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about 15. So
1: you grew ahead. up here in Atlanta?
2: Yeah, I went to high school here. Yeah, went to high school here in Atlanta. So I, I think they allowed me to claim Atlanta as home since <laughs> I, I went to don't. high school here.
1: Everyone's from not Atlanta, so anybody can be from it. That's
2: like a rule they got. They have a rule that you can only claim Atlanta if you went to high school here.
1: Oh, okay. I did not know that. I I I just found out last week. (laughs) So, um, and then did you have businesses in high school? Were you doing stuff then?
2: Um, nothing major. Um, I think I, I was just working at like Domino's, Pizza, McDonald's, and those cool places there, and I just worked my it's butt the off.
1: The Enterprise, you knew the Enterprise was going to be the heart of things, yeah, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. So now, now you're uh,
1: calling them for different reasons, <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah, not to flip burgers, right? <laughs>
1: So so um, when you got Walmart as the client, that opened the door to all these other large companies? Or how did the process go to, you know, get into these major players?
2: I think, you know, definitely Walmart um, played a huge part in opening those doors. But um, we were a part of um, the first cohort with Engage which is uh, right here, right around ATDC. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the first accelerators that have all corporate LPs. So that helped us a ton to get in front of those corporations and get some like kind workflow. of in
1: mass, like you were able to hit a bunch of them.
2: Oh yeah, dude, they were lined up, ready <laughs> to go. And I'm, I'm the type of person, if you put them in front of me, Hey, I'm going to close. That's the,
1: yeah. that's the hard part is getting in front of them.
2: That's the hardest uh, part. Right. Seriously. And you know, we're, we're an okay business. Like we, <laughs> we got some pretty cool solutions. So, um, it, it, it softened them up and gave them the opportunity to take a chance on mm-hmm. us. And um, we've been able to deliver it thus far. So that really paved the way. And then just being at different networking events, and then we brought on a, a rock star um, VP of Ops who we transferred over, transitioned over to VP of Sales who has a ton of logistics experience, uh, Andrew Phelps. And um, he came in and just kicked butt, you know, from the sales department as well. So, so,
1: so now sales. you're able to attract, like, good talent? just on yeah. the work that you're doing so that makes things easier from that side
2: yeah yeah i think so I, I think of course being here in this type of environment it's a it's attractive to you know new employees they really you know the culture is great up here in just the georgia tech environment but also um the team that we've got is just amazing uh, we've had you know limited to no turnover and everybody's great we've done a really good job at hiring the right people that are motivated and focused and really dedicated to the team
1: now uh your background in the service industry has that helped in that kind of creating the culture and the right environment to attract that kind of talent
2: I would say so, um you know what 's funny is i don't don 't do any of the hiring like i i'll interview or just kind of sit in, but I let some of the other team members make the final decision, like to empower everyone else and plus me. I'm 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 sure you could tell I'm super lighthearted. I like everybody. You, know, you come interview hire, today, I'll, I'll probably hire you. I'll be like, hey, this guy's great. You know? I always, I'll be a radio guy. I'm, I'm telling do you, you me, have a radio guy. Not yet. <laughs> we could use you one. Need a
1: radio guy. I
2: always see the silver lining. That, that's right. That's the entrepreneur in me, right? right. Like, okay, everything's was, possible. Anything's oh. possible. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm not the guy to hire.
1: Oh. <laughs> so you have some guy that's the tough. Maybe oh yeah, here. yeah, yeah. We got some mean guys over <laughs> <Right>. there. <laughs> They're in charge of hiring. <laughs> exactly. So now what do you need more of right now?
2: Um, A players. I think we're we're looking for some engineering talent now. Um you know, lead engineers or, you know, head of architecture, those kind of people, but just A players, you know, just good people that are going to be dedicated and in it for the long haul and really going to, um, you know, come out and fight. I'm a former athlete. I love sports. So I just want people that are going to make that block for the team and don't always have to shine. Let's Mm -hmm. go out. Let's get the championship.
1: And then um, right now, who's the kind of main liaison between all these enterprise clients that you?
2: Yeah, it's myself, but mainly I'm um, Andrew Phelps, our VP of sales. He's, um, you know, we work shoulder to shoulder together. I'll, I'll set him up, leverage my network to get into the door, and he'd get in there and ask the tough questions. And with his logistics experience, he knows how to navigate the mm-hmm. enterprise uh, companies really well. So we, we work... Um, Pretty good in conjunction. But, yeah, Andrew Phelps is the guy there. So if anyone's listening and want us to, you know, ship some of their goods, definitely uh, reach out.
1: And then who who are the ideal customers now that you've locked down, like, the Fortune 500?
2: Uh, we're don't still know. enterprise <laughs> focused, yeah. We, we still got some more. We don't have 500 of them. We got a few. I think we've got, what, about 25 customers now. <laughs> but uh, definitely um, enterprise shippers were focused, but we also work with s customers as well small and medium sized businesses so we're open to anyone who's shipping full truckload we'll have a conversation to see if we could be helpful
1: so anybody who's sh- shipping a full truckload that's yeah, yeah. A, yeah a prospect. We're,
2: exactly we're happy to have a conversation to see if we can be helpful
1: now you're going out on like going to trade shows and conferences and things like that like how are you getting in front of all these people because yeah. there's a t- how many there's Tons there's, of there's, tons
2: of, oh, there's tons of people, right, there's tons, tons of trade issues. shows. Oh I'm right. like, you'll go broke going to trade so shows. So you
1: don't too. do that. We go
2: to a few of them. We go to just a few. Those things are expensive. Twenty five, five thousand dollars. Right. We don't have it, man. We're a startup. Right. We don't have any money. <laughs> But, yeah, so we're, we're at trade shows, uh, but mainly leveraging the network. Um, there's a high concentration of um, enterprise customers just here in the city of Atlanta. Or just
1: your own backyard. Yeah,
2: exactly. So we look at it like, hey, if we can lock down our own territory and in our city. I and mean, then expand out from there. Yeah, that. we do $100 million right here in Atlanta with no right. problem. So.
1: so you got some work to do. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. So now if somebody wanted to learn more.
2: Uh, definitely uh, go to www.sudo.io um connect with me on linkedin that's uh, amari a-m-a-r-i uh, last name ruff r-u-f-f and I'm pretty active on uh, IG as well, uh, Instagram. It's me okay. underscore Amari.
1: And then picture you in trucks, like what, what's on that?
2: <laughs> oh, on my Instagram, it's, it's me just doing cool stuff. Cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, cool like, stuff. Like yeah. for H- instance. hanging out with my son. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you like, don't yeah, want to miss that. Don't want to miss that, man. My, man, my son's the real star. <laughs> Super cool. But now we're we're going to football games and so things like the that. The
1: Giants game.
2: Yeah, yeah. Actually, what's... the game what, yesterday. Yeah, big... Hey, you see my hat, right? <laughs> so we went to the Monday night football game here in Atlanta. So I was there too. My son was on TV the entire time because we were down um, in the suite near the uh-huh. field. Dude, he's on uh, – Odell Beckham came over, shook his hand wow. and stuff. So people are texting me, like sending pictures. Like, Oh, we see your son, uh-huh. like the whole game. So it was crazy. So my, my job of being a dad is done. I got, I got a chance to introduce him to OBJ. That's like, I'm it. Good. it. I'm good,
1: <laughs> dude. Uh, he can't complain about anything from now on.
2: Not at all. He better, he better clean his room.
1: <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. So that's sudo.io.
2: Yep, sudo.io.
1: And you need more customers, and more? then you'll be needing more money shortly.
2: Yeah, I need more yeah. money today, hey, actually. You know. <laughs> we'll work on that. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. Well, thank you for, for sharing your story.
0: Yeah, thanks a bunch.
1: Maybe Matt has some money. Yeah.
0: Probably. <laughs> Matt's got it a time. looks ton. like he yes. can Borrow some money. <laughs> hey, stay with us. We're going to visit with one more guest, all right? all right? All right. Next up on ATDC Radio today, we have with us from Mojian, Mr. Matt Riley. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. So did you learn anything in that last
3: segment? I always learn from Amari <laughs> when Sudo's in the house. Now, we've been on the road together at some of these, you know, pitch sessions, and we went out in the valley with the group from ATDC. So yeah. I've got a chance to spend some time around him. Yeah, man, It's, it's been awesome.
1: fun. So tell us about Moji and how are you serving folks?
3: So we actually were built um, about four years ago by two Coca-Cola executives who were working in the marketing department. With Man, they, we
1: had a Coke guy earlier.
3: It's all over Finn, the place. Finn Finley. Everybody you know used to be at Coke. <laughs> it yeah. seems
1: that way. My a, wife works at Coke. It's, it's a great it's, place to uh, be she, from. She should come here for a job.
3: Maybe, maybe. But they were uh, working with the big data that was in use in the marketing department and realized there really wasn't a lot of mobile data that was of any high quality, right? So what we do today is we stream location data from about 175 million mobile devices, um in real time and so we can actually see patterns of movement where consumers have been and then we put our data science on top of that to predict where people might be based on what they've done in the past and then we work with brands in retail financial services sports and entertainment hospitality to take a look at where their customers are when they're not interacting with that brand
1: so you're using it the data more so than a tool to kind of communicate with them
3: Right, yeah, that's not our job at all. So we right, don't serve so media. We built this right, business. Was it's, built you're
1: trying to do a less creepy version of this.
3: we right? <laughs> trying to actually add value. Right. Yeah.
1: But as opposed to, like, how does the, my phone know that I just went to Dairy Queen?
3: Well, because there's a company <laughs> called Google and right. other companies who are trying to push stuff at you without really understanding right. what's valuable.
1: So now you're getting to the heart. You're getting the data so then the customers can make more informed uh, decisions,
3: Right. Well, really, so the brands can know when is the best time to reach out with what message. What are you receptive to? When right. are you at work? Don't bother you. When are you likely to change behavior? These mm-hmm. are the things that create a better connection and eliminate spam. And so that's really what we want to be. About.
1: Then who is your customer? Is it the agencies or is it the brands?
3: Uh, it's both right now. So we're actually selling into digital agencies who are using creative to create new campaigns. Some of it has nothing to do with mobile, right? So we actually look at... When people move around in the physical world, what does that tell you about them? Mm-hmm. And then we can help them decide what kind of messaging. We're not a consulting firm, but we're building a services business. You know When and where to connect with you, and then they'll do the creative. Because I think what's happening in this industry, generally speaking, is there's just so much spam and so much data that companies are really hungry to figure out how to make meaning out of it. And then we want to empower those companies to figure out what to do with it, and then they can go activate. There's a lot of agencies out there. There's a lot of digital media companies. And we're we're emerging as one of the leaders in helping to understand physical movement.
1: So now walk me through um, your sales process. Like you're going to an agency, and the pain they're having is what?
3: So let's pick uh, sports and entertainment just because we're working on something today with one of the big sports leagues. Um, a big investment in sports today is the stadium. And a lot of these new stadiums have multi-use facilities. So right. you'll have restaurants, bars. Right. In Atlanta here, they have a... Um, You know, a concert venue,
1: right? Like, uh, just a Golden State is charging like a hundred dollars a month to not see the game. To not go to the game, right? (laughs) Like, you can get in, but you can't. There, you can't see the game from what you're paying for.
3: There's a forty-four thousand person waiting (laughs) list for Golden State season tickets, and so what they're doing in that case is selling it's $100 a month to 200 people to just show up and go to the bar in the stadium. You can't to actually just hang get out
1: seen. at the stadium. So you get to go through all the hassle of parking, <laughs> all the hassle of, you know, leaving to spend time watching the game on television. On a TV. <laughs> in Ex- the stadium.
3: That's exactly right. <laughs> so th- these good for them. These franchises have the facility and now it's, you know, the the, the revenue streams are a lot about what happens before and after the game. Right. And the challenge is they don't really know what the fans do before and after the game until they come into the stadium in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of franchises in basketball, in particular, there's such a high churn of people who go to see the game. What do you mean? Really, so
1: it's not the same person?
3: No, you could have hundreds of thousands of different fans occupy that seat, those seats throughout the course of, of a year. So we can help them understand who should. Is that up.
1: unusual just for basketball, or is that other sports have the same challenge?
3: Well, because of the price of basketball season tickets, it's especially high in basketball. It's a little bit lower in baseball. And there's more games in baseball, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so the goal is, who are these people? Who are, who are the fans? What do they do before and after? Who's most likely to, want, to be willing to be influenced to stay later, go to a bar, a restaurant, show up earlier, eat at the stadium? So that's what the
1: stadium is. wants, is for you to get there early, to go get a meal, or, or just not fight traffic and just stay there a little longer after the game and just...
3: Exactly. It's about the journey and the experience mm-hmm. outside the game as much as it is during the game.
1: And then how does your service help them?
3: so we can identify the people that are most likely who have eaten somewhere else because they might think it's more expensive to eat at the ballpark right so these are the people that are eating somewhere else showing up at the game we can help communicate with them and have them eat at the game or spend more money you can see who leaves the game early maybe goes to a bar
1: but your, your stuff is just giving them information. Giving them and insight, then, and then their creative then the agency. the agency is then saying, okay, this person is somebody we might be able to influence.
3: Exactly right. And that way it's tailored, it's specific to the person, it's specific to the time. It's not like when your laptop, when you buy a T-shirt, you get that T-shirt ad pop and up. It's for following year, me around, and it doesn't follow you around <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: And it's like I bought it already.
3: Like, I don't want how another does
1: one. It not know that.
3: <laughs> well, it doesn't. That's the best we can do. That is the. <laughs>
1: That's the best
3: we can do. In the last ten years, most of the investment about who consumers are comes from what you do online. We call it the pixel mm-hmm. economy. There's pixels on the websites. You, you get tracked. You're leaving a massive exhaust of online behavior. Right. But the question is, is that really who you are, or is did you just need a T-shirt and you bought a T-shirt? Or you you can actually understand who people are by watching what they do better than by watching where they click.
1: And then, so that's your premise. Mm
3: -hmm, That's right.
1: And then, um, so how did you kind of start testing that premise?
3: Well, it's actually pretty easy to test what we call A B testing to do different campaigns based on consumer behavior and see how the response rates change. Mm -hmm. Because you can actually see who shows up at your drive through or who shows up in your store within a certain time frame of you actually communicating or connecting with them. So it allows the agencies or the brands to really do a lot of experimentation to make it better, as opposed to running a blast campaign because mm-hmm. that's a lot of what media has evolved from in the last fifty years is the mass market campaign. This was the Mad Men idea of right. I'm going to sh- you know, we're going to run a campaign, we're going to have billboards, and we're going to show everybody the same thing.
1: Well, it was easy when there were three channels. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, now there's a, a million channels. Now, um, when you're explaining this to the agencies intellectually they kind of believe it but they want to see it yeah and,
3: in, and it's you can we can prove it because now we've had you know probably almost over a year of high volume data mm-hmm. so we can go back historically and look at when things have happened and what the behavior change has been so you can show up at the first meeting already with half an answer to say look here's how your consumers have behaved over the last season so the you last can
1: benchmark campaign. that and then you have something to compare, compare your and work now we to. can
3: start changing things right Exactly.
1: Now, do those things work when they go bring this ticket in and get a free taco?
3: They can, yeah. Actually, there's a high degree of, uh, <laughs> you, you wouldn't believe what people will do for a free taco. <laughs> really?
1: So that really, Th- that's so one that way to works, Your stuff's got to work way better than that.
3: It's, it's been shown to, yeah. <laughs> yep.
1: So now, what's your biggest challenge?
3: Uh, I think the biggest challenge is education in the industry because there's a lot of companies out there with data that are talking about mobile data. A lot of it comes from the telcos. You can see, Lately, in the last year, there's been a lot of noise about consumer privacy, and the big issue. No, this is every time we walk around, your whoever your carrier is, whether it's AT and T or Verizon or whoever, is collecting your location data, and you don't have a way to opt out of that, Mm -hmm. and that causes a lot of heartburn with consumers because they don't have any opportunity to say, no, I don't want you to track me because it's a cell phone. It's a cell phone tower. Well, what we do is we only track on apps that we are on or that we're partnered with where you can opt out of location. So if you ever download an app and you go through that menu that says, I give you permission to track my location always or only when in use or never, you can actually opt out of our platform by saying never or only when in use. Mm -hmm. And now the consumer has more privacy. And so I think the education of why this is better, why this is different.
1: Now, why is it better for the consumer? Like, I understand why it's better for the brand. Mm -hmm. But why is it better for the consumer to be tracked?
3: because most of the interactions that we have with brands, like if you go to, one of the things that's fascinating to me on this point is if you have Gmail, which I do, Gmail has created a whole folder called spam. Right. To which they dump all of the ads that they have probably helped sell to attack you. (laughs)
1: But then they recognize that you need to buy more. That's the problem.
3: (laughs) But the the genius is they've recognized that consumers don't want to see all this stuff. Right. So with their data, they go out and sell ads and then dump them all into a spam folder so you never have to look at it, (laughs) which is the evidence of, you know, what's really happening here. Well, if you didn't have to have that spam folder, if you didn't have to have things where you're like you know, I, this is irrelevant to me. The, you'd be a more uh, precise consumer. You'd have more attraction to the brand, and you'd feel like the brand understands you. Another really interesting example on this point is Waze. If you ever use Waze in your mm-hmm. car, they've gotten very heavily into uh, showing ads to you.
1: Right. It, it, this will only take five minutes.
3: Or Yeah, so almost invariably, I'll use Waze to get from, my off, from here to the office, depending on traffic. They'll show me, hey, here's a coupon to the Cumberland Mall. This just happened about two weeks ago. Um, well, Cover mall is 30 minutes that way. Right. And I drive past the mall to get here. But there's no insight about what they're showing you. It's just, hey, here's an ad that somebody paid us to show. Or a subway. A so subway it, is very big on Waze. There's a subway right outside here. I right. have to walk past every day to come here. But the ads that I get on Waze are right. for the subway that's 20 minutes subway. that way. <laughs> right. So they haven't even figured out how to make it relevant to you or me. It's just subway paid us to push ads in your face. So that's what we'll do. And that's kind of the state of the art right now. But this is what we're moving to is, hey, we know that based on your travel pattern, you're going to go right past this one. Right. How about that?
1: And then that's better for you as a consumer because now I don't have to look at And that's actionable for me. Oh, I can save $3 on the sub Or I already ate lunch because, right. you
3: know, because you saw me go to the <laughs> place. Like, don't give me a lunch coupon. Right. I already ate. Thanks.
1: And then um, so what brought you to ATDC?
3: Well, so I was uh, actually a a CEO of a company that was acquired by Accenture a long time ago, about 12 years ago. And my office was right upstairs here in the same building. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was transitioning out of that role and wound up on the board of Mojean, working with the two co-founders. And then we wound up moving from a different incubator in Atlanta, which was more like the entry-level incubator across town, to ATDC after we had proof of concept product market fit we started to really hire from tech from the computer science department and so this thing really converged for us and it's worked out great this is a great place to be our uh, one of our computer science advisors offices in this building and this co-location of the engineering talent what we're doing and the office space has been a huge advantage
1: now a lot of the companies we've interviewed here say one of the things they like the most is that kind of proximity of these kind of serendipitous kind of conversations of people bumping into each other and with a problem, hey, do you know this? And like people are solving problems just kind of in random times that you never would have been able to do if you were just in an office isolated by yourself.
3: I agree with that, but I think it's kind of a directed serendipity if that's a thing. Meaning there's people here that have collected here because they know how to solve these kinds of problems. Right. There are people who are looking to help solve these kinds of problems. There are students who want to study this kind of problem in the data science department here. And so for us it's been Serendipitous, if that's a big word, but it's in a, in a structured way. So it's not random. It's actually people come here for what we do, for what sudo does. Customers come here for what sudo does. We actually have a strategic partner that just happened to mention. That we were talking to them and they said, Oh, yeah, ATDC, I was just there for something different. That's a great place. So this is happening because it's been constructed this way on purpose, not because it's random.
1: Right. And it, But it's just the fact that so many, uh, it seems very collaborative and even though people might be in attacking the same area yep. but it seems like people are they know the reality of the situation some of these are going to work some of these aren't yep. but they want a place to fall in case mine explodes and the, that's a that's part that's of right. the, that's uh, that's an attraction to me like if i'm a, a young person that's trying to get involved in the startup community that gives me a level of security, really.
3: Oh, it sure sure does. And there's a lot of success here. And I think that's, you know, like the harder we work, the more successful we are. Right. I think that's absolutely the case with ATDC. Another thing that makes it different is you have to screen in to this, especially at the signature level. Right. And so everybody that's here has earned their right to be in the batting order. Right. Um, whereas there's other programs where if you have a credit card and $400 a month, right. you can call yourself a startup. And then right. it has more of a, a fraternity feel, and there's not a lot of success. In fact, mm-hmm. if you go to – there's another – incubator you know over in Buckhead that calls itself you know the Atlanta's technology Mm -hmm. village or whatever and they have a a sign by the elevator of all the success stories and there's like three success stories there's three or four companies on that sign and there have been thousands of companies that have churned through there and that's not a really a big hit rate (laughs) but yeah that's sort of viewed as like you know the entry level right uh, incubator whereas if you come here and you look at the talent walk in the halls and the companies that have been built it's actually pretty impressive
1: and then, and that's the challenge here. Also, is they are trying to get the word out and spread and socialize the fact that there has been so much success here. And the, and these people were the originals. Like they they were doing this before it was cool. I mean, this thing's been around for decades. Yeah, it's not the new kid on the block. No,
3: and and that's you know it's tougher to get in. You have to be selected. You got to try out. You have an advisor that sort of holds you to account around you know progress in the business. And it's it's a great place for resources. Sure. Mm-hmm.
1: And then, uh, so now uh, you're in a signature level. And uh, are you looking to get to raise more money, or you're self-funded at this point? So we've were...
3: we've been self-funded since about 90 days after we sent our first invoice, and so we we bootstrapped the business. We have no <laughs> professional money in it. It's just
1: just your money,
3: investors, family, and friends, <laughs> and clients, money, people we suffered <laughs> it. Yeah, um, but we're at, we're at a point now where we're um, considering a couple of different options from mm-hmm. uh, in that. Uh, regard but we've been fortunate enough to be bootstrapped but the you know the tough news is that we don't have a lot of money to spend on anything but reinvesting in the business so it's it's a good place to be but it's also a place where you know we have a lot more opportunity than we have capital to throw at it right now
1: and then but then if you get capital then you could scale now that you have the machine built so that it's ready that if you injected capital in then you could scale and go that's exactly right
3: Yep, yep, exactly right.
1: And then so now you have strategies to go after marketing firms and strategies to go after brands?
3: Yep, so brands and agency are the two big areas. Right. Um, sports, entertainment, financial services, hospitality are the general verticals that we get a lot of traction in retail uh, also to some extent. And so we already have a plan for each one of those verticals. Now it's a matter of expanding the team to deliver on that, yeah.
1: And that's where the if you were to take money, that's what it would go yep. towards.
3: Yeah, and also to build out the predictive capabilities that we've –
1: so, so the technology part is pretty baked, or
3: it is. Yeah, we built the business backwards essentially. We built it based on R and D here, almost like literally within a couple hundred yards of here for the last, you know, for eighteen months prior to launch. Then we had our first revenue based on this data science platform and some IP that we built and some patents that we got. And now then we actually drove MVP and. You know, revenue growth. rose. a lot of companies in this industry figured out how to go acquire somebody else's data, hire twenty-five salespeople. They have no technology stack, <laughs> right? And they're just selling, uh, you know, low dream. quality, high and, yeah. right.
1: They're selling a dream rather than something that's r- more real.
3: Yeah. So our bet was that there's going to be a lot of consolidation in this space, which you're already starting to see, right? And that the tech platform will win, and will right. emerge we'll as wins. one of the yeah,
1: and you'll be one of the players.
3: That's the that's what we're starting to see.
1: And if somebody wanted to learn more.
3: Uh, Mogean.com. It's Mobile Geospatial Analytics was the name. So it's Mogean.com.
1: Yeah, that other one would have been too hard to spell. Right. <laughs> yeah. So dot oh, ncom You got it. Good stuff. Matt Riley, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Pit, and we will see you all next time on ATDC Radio.